uh, or nod the fact that God's Word has great authority over our lives. And so this is God's Word according to Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And he, this is Jesus, calls the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not uh, have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. And wherever they, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And we all say together, Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So good morning. Oh, this is Luke chapter 9. Really excited about this passage because we get to see some practical ministry. As you and I know, uh, the best learning happens when you get to do it yourself, right? Uh, you can learn from a book all day long. You can read, 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 read. But at some point, you're going to have to put your money where your eyes are, and you're going to have to become a practitioner. You're going to actually happen to end on uh, those things that you've been reading and practice it yourself. So there's a success of Masterclass is staggering. I mean, they had a huge boon during COVID, right? Masterclass uh, was uh, less than 10 years old. Uh, in the year 2015, they launched, and now this company is worth $3 billion. Uh, some, uh, somebody says that 12 million people activate their account at least once a month. So this is called Masterclass. However, the one fatal flaw to Masterclass is its execution. It's a classroom and it's a good one, right? And this, some of the, the, the most top-notch people in the world teaching you their specialty. But the classroom, right, can only go so far. At some point, you have to execute your craft. And how do you do that, right? How do you go about that without practicing this newly found skill. We all know this main fact, that learning comes by doing, right? And that skill, you do it over and over and over again. Say, for instance, if you want to be a chef, right? You have to move past the cookbook at some point and actually get your hands dirty or use uh, some utensils in the kitchen, if you're an electrician, we don't want you to burn our house down, so you need to move away from the manual and actually do some things. The same thing with the mechanics, especially if they're working on your brakes. Let's make sure that you know what you're doing and you have practiced that before you try that out on us. So learning comes by doing, and that's the same with the apostles. The apostles are here in this passage, and they're about to learn from Jesus some very practical skills. Let's go back to these apostles, right? Let's hear from them. If you go back to chapter 6, you see that Jesus has split his followers into three major groups. 
You know that there are crowds and they're big and they're following them. Over a thousand of people are following Jesus. So we have the crowds. But then we have another group of people called the disciples. And we don't know how many people they are, but we know that there is a difference in chapter 6 between the disciples and the newly appointed apostles and that there are 12 of them. We know that they are getting more and more singular focused from Jesus. He's shifting away from the public and spending more time exclusively with these guys over and over again. Jesus is strategic with his time. And starting in verse 6, we see that this time is more and more spent with them. And so with their eyeballs... They start to see Jesus do some things. They've seen him heal some diseases, teach on the the sermon on the plain, expel a a, a demon, heal a a woman uh, to raise somebody from the dead. Over and over and over, we get to see them watch Jesus do his thing. Well, here in chapter 9, everything starts to change. Chapter 9 is a turning point in the Gospel of Luke, mainly because this is the end of the Galilean ministry. Jesus is about to point his face straight toward Jerusalem and is about to march there. But it's not just a turning point in the direction of Jesus' ministry, but what happens in chapter 9 is really important. You hear Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ. You hear Jesus foretell for the first time that he has to die on the cross. You hear him tell these apostles to take up their cross and follow me. Of course, there's the transfiguration. Things are starting to shrink. And Jesus is starting to give some one-on-one attention to these apostles over and over. They've seen Jesus work. They've seen him do his thing. But now it's going to be different because learning comes by doing. Jesus knows something that the apostles don't. Soon he is about to ascend into heaven and leave these guys behind. And they just need a little bit of practice. They need a a little bit on their resume to tell them exactly what is about to happen. I remember all of my ministry experience was on a college campus or with college students. I loved them. They were great. I knew almost nothing of the local church. And that's when I was uh, invited into an internship at Redeemer Community Church to learn the things that we need to learn when it comes to local church ministry. And so there were classes, right? And there were trips where uh, we went to conferences. There was one-on-one discipleship, all to give me access to be able to see what ministry looks like in the local church. And that one year of an internship was really, really impactful. This is what Jesus is doing to these 12 apostles. They're giving them some practical ministry, giving them a a chance to exercise some of these things. At Redstone Church, we've had two interns. We've had Sam Adams and Joe Penny. Both those guys have been sent on a trajectory, which is really, really good. And so at Redstone, we want to see some progression. And so we've charted out what we call just a leadership funnel. And so we have things called cohorts in which we invite people into smaller groups and then internships and then a residency and then to be launched out. This is what we want to do, but not because it's a good idea, but because this is what we see Jesus do. So in Luke chapter 9, we're going to just cover three things this morning. We're going to 
explain what Jesus' internship of multiplication actually looks like. Because he is interning these 12. But he doesn't want them just to be skilled. They actually want this idea of multiplication for them to go out and do things for themselves. So first and foremost, we'll see the healing and the preaching. Then we'll see some power and authority. And lastly, we'll see a success, but then we'll also see some rejection. All right, so what needs to be multiplied, right? Let's do that. So what needs to be multiplied? Jesus looks at our apostles. He's looking at the 12, and he's like, so what do we do? And in this passage, we learn of the two primary pastoral exercises or practices of anybody who wants to do ministry. Almost all ministry can be seen in these two areas. It's called the ministry of the word and the ministry of helps. This is what we do. This is what we do. The ministry of the word and the ministry of healing or helps. Some circles call this orthodoxy and orthopraxy. I don't care what you call it, but these are the two prongs that you need to understand. The church meets people's needs on a spiritual front, but not just a spiritual front, but also a physical one. We're not just talking about loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, which is internal, but we actually want to see that have an outward impact on the people around us. It is Jesus who did tell us to feed the hungry and to clothe those which are naked and to, to visit those who are in prison. So we want to both internally and externally see these things happen. These are what Christian ministers do. This is what the Christian church is supposed to do, is both gospel presentation, but also some physical helps. Jesus' internship to these guys are really prodding. He's going to tell them something. He said, you are going to be my representatives. I'm going to show you how to do it, but then you're going to go and you're going to do it yourselves. Here's what changes in chapter 9. Jesus has been present in most of our stories. The Roman centurion is a little bit of uh, an extra, but Jesus has been present for everything. Starting in chapter 9, he's actually going to send them. And the power of Jesus' name is going to be enacted in the same way of Jesus' actual physical body. body. And so the word of Jesus, the name of Jesus, and the presence of Jesus is the same. So let's talk about preaching, because that is what we're going to do. This is what needs to be multiplied, is this idea of what is happening right now, the preaching of the word of God over and over. So this is the first time that they get some kind of chops it's trying to proclaim the gospel. They're going to villages and towns, and they're just, just letting it fly for the very first time. Preaching is a means of grace. Preaching is God's chosen instrument for the good work and the souls of men to happen. You may be bored right now. You may be like dozing off to sleep. But for some reason, for 2,000 years, the preaching of God's living word has been what has enacted humanity and changed the heart of, hearts of men over and over and over again. We believe that this gospel message is the most relevant message that our world needs. And we believe that the apostles needed to preach this gospel, to preach this kingdom, to try it out, 
to raise their voice and to use excitement to do these things. And so with great passion, these men, these 12, started to preach Christ and Christ crucified. Is Christ interesting, right? Is Christ insightful? Is Christ the most soul-satisfying thing that has ever, message that has ever been preached? And for us, we say yes. And so week in and week out, we come and we gather, we open up God's word in order for us to hear the true words of life. The New Testament tells us over and over, First, uh, 2 Timothy 4 tells us to simply preach the word. It's that simple. It's also that easy to simply open up God's word and to preach him, for us to put our eyes on him and him alone. Colossians 3 does the same thing, to let the word of God dwell richly among us, but then to allow that to be admonished and teaching, teaching with all wisdom those types of things. So yes, we are to internalize this word. We are to gather and to hear it preached. And so our job every single week is to go out and to tell the congregation how great God is. Because God is great. God is good. Jesus Christ has done something remarkable in our lives. But the sad thing is, is that six days have, have passed from the time we gathered in here. And in our minds, our minds have grown dull and maybe our hearts maybe a little hardened. And we need to be reminded of God's eager pursuit of your life and mine. And so, yes, you're sitting there. And yes, you are passive. And yes, you have no idea what's about to happen. And yet what we believe is happening right now, because this is what God's word tells us, is that supernatural change can happen in your heart and mind. Why? Because his word is alive. And you've shown up thinking that the, the God who is alive is speaking through it. A live word will come into your life and change your life. That's why we've gathered. Not to be entertained, right? Not to learn some facts, but to truly have our hearts look and be synced in on what Jesus has said. Some have said that the church's mission is not missions, but the church's mission is to make sure that the word is preached on every square inch of, this, of the world. And so what are we doing now to simply preach the word? We've come in a little cold-hearted, that's okay. But it's our job as a preacher to reach into your world and beg you to remember that God reigns. To beg you to put your eyes on Jesus and Jesus alone. We believe that this is what the, the culture needs. This is what we all need, is for us to be reminded Church attendance stinks. The statistics tell us that um, we are visiting or coming to church somewhere around the 50% uh, 50% mark. Some of you are like, wait a minute, I've been six out of the left seven. That's fine. But in general, church folks are coming every other week. And I think it's because we fail to realize that God is actually showing up to talk to us. Not through a preacher, but through his Word. And so he's sending them out to preach, but not just to preach with vocal things, but actually to use their hands. And here we have just this ministry of healing. 
1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12 tells us and gives us the list of these spiritual gifts that come along with the church. And guess what one of those gifts are? The gift of healing. Actually coming into your life and my life to offer healing to you. And so we know, as Bruce has already said, and I actually forgot that this was prayer card, right? And so this was pretty wonderful. But just this idea that healing and prayer are intricately connected to one another. You may need your heart not pierced by the preaching, but you may need your heart pierced by the fact that you are in need and you need God to come and do something remarkable with us. And so with these apostles, they go to preach, but they go to heal, to step into those, those uh, villages and to actually bring about change. Jesus even mentions this idea of the demon possessed or the demonic or the disabling spirits that they will find. And he sends them out and he says, you can enact change, just go. And so that's what they do. And so today... At Redstone Church, you just need to know that there is a healing ministry that goes on. And so there is a benevolence committee. There are people who give large amounts of money to make sure that there are people inside of our church and inside of our community and even some global needs that are able to be met. And so when Jesus tells us to feed the needy, when he tells us to go and clothe others, we want this benevolence committee monies to be exercised. It's doing no good sitting in a bank account. And so as ministers of the gospel, right, both proclaimers and then also healing to see those around you and wonder how can the local church come alongside them. But then they're blue and they're on your seats. These are prayer cards. For years now, the community care team have gathered us and to look you right in the eye and said, there is something that you need to say out loud. And over and over and over again, maybe the secrets of your hearts just came spilling out on a dumb blue card, but over and over and over, people who are gifted in prayer, gifted in healing, have called and texted, set up one-on-one meetings so that this could happen. We are preachers of the word, but we are also coming alongside And then there is this wonderful passage in James that says that when the elders are called upon, that we show up with oil. And over the course of 10 years, we've been able to do that uh, time and time again with individuals that are truly in need. And so we want the healing ministry to continue to happen at Redstone Church. And so that's that's what we're going to do. So what are we going to do? Preach and heal. All right, so the the next question is a little more saucy. So how exactly is this thing going to multiply? We know what's going to multiply. The preaching ministry, Jesus has been the primary preacher up to this point. And the healing ministry, Jesus has been the primary healer. Now he's sending them out. So how exactly is this thing going to be multiplied? I want you to look at the three verbs in verses one and two. Look at these three verbs. It's pretty simple that he calls them together. Hey, y'all, here we go. And so he kind of whistles, does a little of this, let's let's huddle. So he calls them together. He grants them authority and then he sends them out. So this is, these are the movements, right? This is how it's going to happen. This is what he does. He's calling them together. He grants them authority and then he sends them out. And what does he do? He grants them power and authority. And you need both. 
Both are a little bit interesting words, but I want to just, just draw our attention that you need both, not one or the other. When Jesus sends you with both power and authority, you need both. Why? Because power is the ability to do something. To strong arm somebody else is action. To be able to do something is this ability to pick up something or to push something or to call something. That's power. Authority, though, is the right to do something or even the opportunity to do something. So you need both the ability and the opportunity. And so when Jesus sends them out, he sends them out with both power and authority or ability and an opportunity to do so some practical examples. Let's just say that you are a part of a gang and you wanted to take over a street corner. You can flex, right, and take over. You have the power to do so. But you haven't been given the authority to take over that street corner. Make sense? And in the same way that if you were the cops, you've been granted the authority to take over that street corner. Yet if you don't have backup, you don't have the power to do so. And so you need both. Let's take just a classroom. A teacher has the authority to teach the curriculum, to be able to present ideas, right? But she has no power over the student to be able to force them to learn and vice versa. You need both. And here, the apostles, they go out with both ability and opportunity. And so that's what they, they do. They go with, but they also go with some odd instructions. And this is where you and I should get a little bit nervous, like, Lord, what are you calling me to do? What are you calling us into? And let me tell you, it will always be a little bit differently than what you have expected. First and foremost, he tells you to pack light, right? In fact, there's more negatives in this sentence than positives. I don't want you to take anything. I don't want you to take anything on your journey. I want you to go to the villages. I want you to go to the towns and really don't take a bag, don't take a staff, don't take extra money. I don't know when the last time you traveled, right? Do you remember your packing list? I'm not OCD, and I traveled to Raleigh this last week, and I had uh, like a to-do list of all the things that had to happen before I left town. Think, think about going to the beach. Think about going on a hiking trip. I mean, it's just over and over and over. There's no way that I'm going to make it unless I have all of these things. And Jesus says the exact opposite. Take no staff, take no bag, take no bread, take no money. Only take one tunic, the, the, the clothes that are on your back. So the provision is to be totally God's. God is going to be the one who provides for them. You need a staff for defense. You're not to take that. You need a bag to stuff all of your supplies. You're not supposed to take that. You are in complete dependence on God. You have got to travel light. All of us kind of feel like we need to have it all together before we are on mission. Sometimes the Lord just wants you to go and see where God is going to meet you. Another odd thing he tells us is to go and to stay. Don't stay too long. Peace out and keep on going. 
he uses these words like enter and stay and then leave from the exact same house. Don't overstay your welcome. Refrain from searching from, for another house or a bigger house with more provisions. And so in the same way of enter and stay and then leave is this idea of trusting God wherever he places you. To be content where God has placed you on mission. He's provided you that place, so stay there. But only stay a few days and then leave. And so in this, the mission has an urgency about it, and like not an intimacy about it. So don't waste any time, just continue to move on. And so with all of these things, we're not to coordinate all of our resources and to be smart and all of those things. Jesus is actually telling them just to step out and trust him. That is a scary endeavor, right? And yet in these 12, with these 12, that's exactly the mission trip that he is on. This is unlike any other youth group mission trip where all of the T's and all of the I's have to be both crossed and dotted. In fact, Jesus just points and says, go. Now, speaking of missions trips, it would be terrible exegesis to then tell you that this is the only way that you need to be on mission. And that you are the way that you be on mission is that you are frivolous and you just kind of go out the front door. If you just... uh, turn a few pages to Luke 22, we actually see Jesus say the exact opposite to the 12 to actually take a a money bag and to also take a knapsack. So this is particular. This is the first of the mission. And so maybe that's one of the reasons why they are so odd. But with that, look at the simplicity of this mission. Look at the habits that Jesus is trying to form inside these 12. Simply trust me. Go with boldness. Go with courage. Go with a great adventure and abandon, knowing that if God doesn't bail me out, who knows what will happen. And so the spirit of these verses is to remember that Jesus is truly pushing against the worldliness of luxury, of comfort and safety, and truly pressing in on us to go. The book of Acts is filled of stories of these, just these apostles going and with great abandoning, just continuing to, to go. So in Luke chapter 8, it was Jesus. Jesus doing the healing, Jesus raising people from the dead. And now in Luke 9, he's trusting these fishermen and trusting these tax collectors with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then those 12 obey and go. And for 2,000 years, inadequate people with inadequate supplies continue to set foot on untrodden uh, ground and be on mission with the Lord. That's what he wants for us. Some of you came into your relationship with Jesus because you were literally scared to death. Because someone asked you the question, do you want to go to hell? And every logical answer is, I don't think so. And so they're like, well, pray this prayer. And so that was a little bit how the interaction went. Well, here in Luke 9, you see a very different calculation. Instead of where you're not going to end up, Jesus is simply looking at them and said, I have made you 
for more. I've made you to give forth my glory. Remember, they're going out without him. Only in the name of Jesus are they going out. And he loves it. And so your life and my life is to glorify him over and over and over again for your life to mean something, for you to look at the Great Commission and say, that's not their job, that's my job, that's our job. So have you been set on mission? Have you understood this idea of multiplication to say, maybe God is asking me to do that? Or maybe just simply, are you bringing glory to God with your life? your words and your life, but are you doing that? And so real quickly, let's land the plane. Let's look a little bit about who is to be multiplied. And so we've talked about what and why, but who, who exactly are we talking about? And Jesus is pretty clear on this, is that you're gonna have some successes, y'all, but you're also gonna have some defeats. They haven't even left the front door and he's already warning you, by the way, there's going to be a bumpy road. And so what he's prepping them for is like, you're going to see God do amazing things. And if you've ever been on mission, you've seen God show up in remarkable ways. But before they took the first step out of the front door, he's also going to give you just a little bit of caution. Just to make sure that you understand that your preaching needs to go out. And you have no guarantee who it's going to land on, either good or bad. But yet you preach, no matter what, no matter what the reception will be, you simply preach. Because you need to know, 12 apostles, and you need to know, church, that the kingdom is always divided in half. There's always two audiences, those who accept and those who reject. Those who receive and those who push away. And so what do you do when you come across a village or you come across a house or a group of people that simply say, not today, mister, not today. Luke tells us to simply shake off the, the dust from your feet. Luke is the only New Testament uh, writer that uses this phrase, to shake off. He uses it twice, here in this passage and another time in Acts when Paul gets bitten by a snake and he's shaking the, the venomous snake off of his hand. This is your reaction. That when you preach and when you walk in and you are not received well, simply shake them off. What he's also prepping his apostles for is this, this picture of judgment. That yes, there's blessings. And yes, the kingdom will come and God's will will be done. But there's also a judgment that is going to come for humanity, the people who reject this message. They need to deserve and you need to deserve exactly what is going to happen. And so apostles, you need to know that there's gonna be both success and rejection. And so you may be a defeated minister in here this morning. You may be a defeated community group leader or Camp Redstone teacher. You may be a future minister and you just continue to hit a wall. Just know that we are walking along this road where, yes, people will listen and lean in, but oftentimes people will just walk away. Why is that? Well, 
Jesus Christ himself taught and healed. And yet he was ultimately rejected for you and for me. The greatest preacher and the most amazing healer that the world has ever seen was still was like, hmm, I've seen better. And people walked away from him. And so you're going to be tough if you're going to be on mission. And you're going to have to be, have tough skin and thick skin because you're going to have to have to take people walking away or spitting in your face or simply having nothing to do with you. Multiplication is our aim. That is what we do. It's just not what or why, but who we are. At Redstone Church, we have a discipleship plan, and the last leg of our discipleship plan is multiplication. Because we believe over and over and over again, you must replicate yourself. That is why our mission is simply disciples making disciples who make disciples who then make disciples of Jesus. It's almost like we don't care about our own internal discipleship plan. It's not only about my prayers and my Bible reading and my church attendance. That's a little bit like spiritual obesity where you're just always feeding yourself. But disciples making disciples is how we are going to flex and how we are going to move is actually speaking into someone else's life over and over and over again. That's called the Great Commissioned Life. It's for you to replicate yourself. Not only that, but we call it next-gen development, right? Next-gen ministries is that God has blessed us with young people, not just in the back, but young men and women who are contemplating going to the mission field, young men who are contemplating uh, planting churches and being in ministry forever. And it's our job not to just make sure that our stature stands, but the next generation beneath us continues to take off. In the same way with PAC, planting churches, this is what we're about. Not just addition, but multiplication. All of our lives are to replicate over and over again. And so this mission is that Jesus may take a seat he may have a cold glass of water. I'm not sure what he's doing, but all I know is that he stays stationary and to watch these 12 men go. And go they did. And for 2,000 years, sure, we camp out here on a Sunday morning, but in 25 minutes, we will go. But will you go on purpose? Just know that the muscle of the local church is always and has always been multiplication over and over and over again. The book of Acts is not split up by epochs of strategy, but this little phrase, and the word of God multiplied and went out. That's what we want to be a part of here at Redstone Church. And so are you on mission? Are you on mission? Are you looking at your life and strategically wondering, how can I multiply myself? Let's gain inspiration from Luke chapter 9. Let me pray for us. And so King Jesus, these are your words, not ours. We would have picked such an easier path. And yet you tell us to go, to take nothing, to trust you and your provision. And so Lord, help us to do that well.
And so this idea of taking no bread is our example of food this morning. But Lord, we love bread. We love the sustenance. We love to be nourished. And yet you tell us that there is another bread that you cannot provide for ourselves. Lord, are you building in our own hearts, one by one, family by family, people who are eager to be on mission for you. To step out into the unknown, to not be risk averse, but truly to see your name glorified in our lives over and over and over again. Cause us to repent this morning. Help us to be bold in our prayers. And so Bruce has already given you a minute or so to fill out your prayer card. Maybe something in this sermon or something in this text has spurred your heart to to bleed over into a prayer request. So I'll leave it quiet for a minute or two. Feel the freedom to fill out that prayer card now.